Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Death Strategy. This series helps you cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Hello, everyone. It's been quite a volatile week this past week in global financial markets, with early turbulence in risk assets that push bond yields lower around the world, only to see midweek recoveries in risk assets then help turn that move in bond yields around. Of course, all the while, the dollar has been strengthening, something I will talk to my special guest about in a little bit. As a reminder, last week I noted that we had rising concerns about global growth in the investor community stemming from several factors. First, the Delta variant is going to cause new restrictions again and potential supply chain issues. China's slowing. Uh, Asia in general, it could be past peak growth, what that means for the manufacturing cycle, what that means for the commodity cycle. And a more balanced Fed that if inflation remains high, they may react down the road and combining that with a slower, lower growth outlook, causing concerns in markets. What was new this week was that last little bit about the Fed. Um, part of the early weakness in stocks, the move lower in bond yields was concerns around growth got to the point where we started to price Fed hikes out. It became oh no, they might need to cut and then hit growth because inflation's high to, well, growth's going to be so low, they're not even going to get there. Now, some of that has come back with the recovery in markets this week, but you know, at the height of the drama, we had priced out nearly 50 basis points of Fed rate hikes in the out years. Again, some of that's come back, but they're not all of it. And there's still some concern about whether the Feds can even get going. So where from here? I continue to think that this volatility and concerns around the growth outlook continue for the next several weeks, simply because it's going to take that long to see if case rises are going to lead to hospitalizations and fatalities or not in, de- in mostly developed nations where we've had a lot of vaccinations. Given the lags between hospitalizations and cases and we've become accustomed to 10 to 14 days, it's going to take a little while to see if we have a trend there. Um, or not. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see risk off for three straight weeks, but just that this theme of growth concern is going to remain and that markets, I think, will remain volatile, even if they're just volatile in what we've now established as new ranges. So basically, keep an eye on the hospitalization data. We will be updating you as we go through and strap in for what is not as quiet as hoped rest of the summer. So I'm going to leave it there on my portion because I have a few more questions than normal for our special guest this week, who's Brian Dangerfield, our co-head of G10FX strategy. Brian, first off, are we in for a prolonged period of dollar strength? The dollar seems to remain resilient with whatever risk assets, and whatever bond yields we're doing this week. Thanks very much for having me, John. And yeah, the dollar really has been um, persistently stronger, as you mentioned, even through periods where risk appetite has you know, rebounded, the dollar has generally been stronger. I think what you said at the outset um, really does inform our view on the dollar, which is you have a few weeks here where growth expectations have come under pressure and are likely to remain under pressure. I think the world simply needs more data, particularly on how vaccinated populations um, handle COVID-19 cases specifically with, uh, as it relates to severe outcomes. Uh, and until we really have that data, it's going to be hard to know whether or not the restrictive period seen really late last year and early this year are going to come back as case counts are rising or whether or not vaccinated populations are more resilient to severe outcomes and therefore those growth restrictions don't really come into place. You know, what is the path of the virus? Really, it's, uh, of course, super uncertain, but a period of uncertainty is generally positive for the dollar, especially coming off the backdrop of very strong synchronized global growth, which we had had for much of this year, which generally is negative. 
for the dollar. So we don't think this is a huge turning point towards a significantly stronger dollar, uh, but this is certainly a time of the year when the dollar tends to see seasonal strength, particularly in the month of August. Um, and we have this uncertainty where growth expectations are shifting. And in the backdrop, we do have a Federal Reserve um, taking steps towards uh, removing accommodation via tapering, uh, and you have fiscal authorities moving forward. And so uh, we do think this is a period where the dollar can uh, you know, can continue to perform uh, well. And you know our uh, our positions, our expectations and views have adjusted as well from a fairly negative dollar stance to a much more balanced one. All right. Well, you hit on a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. And I mentioned how, you know, the market's priced in Fed, then they priced it out. Now they're priced a little bit back in. We have a meeting next week. What do you see coming out of that? Well, I think it, the game has really changed over the last couple of weeks when the risk environment shifted and the view on uh, global growth and Delta variant concerns really came in, where I think at the end of June, a big expectation coming into this meeting with that would be how hawkish is the Fed specifically as regards to the taper conversation. Now it almost seems like the conversation has shifted a little bit away from how hawkish can they be towards how concerned are they about Delta variant. So I think the, the market's view of this meeting and the view of the risks around this meeting may have been shifting because of the growth concerns that have come up really in the past couple of weeks. It's probably premature, in my view, for the Fed to take a full dovish turn, essentially to say Delta variant concerns are a significant risk, and therefore we need to really pause our conversations on tapering. That feels inappropriate right now. The data have not weakened significantly. U.S. case counts are rising, but case counts are still well below uh, where they are in, in many places in Europe, for example. Um, and inflation is still quite high. And, you know, in our view, our economist expectation, it's likely to remain high, um, you know, for, for several quarters hence. And so it makes it more difficult for the Fed to have a really big dovish turn because the inflation uh, picture uh, is so high. And so they may be more limited in their ability to, you know, pause on a dime, if you will, um, these discussions of taper. So, I think we'll get um, some reference in, uh, from the Fed to Delta variant as a concern, particularly across the globe and something they're monitoring. But I think the conversation on taper is likely gonna have to continue. This is a risk management minded Fed um, and their goal right now is to get ready for taper whenever that the timing uh, becomes right uh, uh, to taper. So keep that conversation going, get ready to taper and if you're ready to taper by September and COVID forces you to delay that decision for several months, I think that's okay if the COVID variant concerns really start to, to, move, uh, uh, to move out and vaccinated populations prove extremely resilient, then they can be ready to deliver that decision earlier. But I think these conversations have to keep going. And so probably limits the ability of the Fed to really turn, you know, com turn completely the other way because of Delta concerns. Okay. Um, lastly, update us on the U.S. fiscal side of things. You know, we've been waiting for this bipartisan infrastructure package. Should we get worried about that? So on Wednesday, the 21st of July, there was a vote in the Senate that failed. And obviously, when you see failed votes, you think clearly things are moving in the wrong direction. Uh, but if anything, that doesn't change all that much in our view. Um, right now, we still have a, a two-track approach being taken by lawmakers, a bipartisan plan being worked on between Republicans and Democrats, and then a Democrat-only plan, which is significantly larger. Um, both had, um, let's call them flexible deadlines 
for Wednesday for major votes and both of them failed to meet those deadlines, but neither of those should be seen as a big game changer. Republicans opposed the vote um, on Wednesday because they did not want to vote to begin debate on a bill that had yet to be completed. So one of the things that's been really going on over the past month is that this bipartisan infrastructure proposal has been in the process of being written into law. It's not done yet. And I think Senate Democrats led by Chuck Schumer, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, essentially, you know, they played a hand, they, they took a bit of a gamble and said, if we decide to start this procedural vote, maybe we can get negotiators to really start moving towards uh, getting this legislation done. That gambit looks to have failed. Um, the bipartisan negotiations are not yet completed and the law is not yet written. And so Republicans essentially refused to support the beginning of debate on those grounds. They said, we're not gonna start debate on a bill that's not even done yet. This would have sped up the process, assuming a bill actually gets done and that the negotiations don't break down. I mean, the negotiators continue to be fairly optimistic. I mean, even before the vote on Wednesday, Romney was saying you might be able to have this same vote on Monday, even though it failed on Wednesday. And so the bipartisan negotiations are likely going to continue. There's also a partisan bill, which is much larger um, they have to go through the reconciliation process. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, it requires a lot more hoops to jump through. One of those is to approve a budget resolution, which gives reconciliation instruction. So this bill also on the very first step, um, they're not quite there yet either in terms of setting a top line number. The numbers you'll see in the media right now, somewhere floating between three and a half to four trillion in terms of a budget resolution that they're considering, that represents the top line number for how much spending can be, uh, uh, can be achieved. And so there will be some desire to push that number towards the extremes. You can always come down, but after a reconciliation budget is passed, you can't move up. You know, this is a, it's a complex process because really this is not supposed to be how you pass legislation. Um, so I don't think this past week's votes really changed the outlook. I think the bipartisan infrastructure uh, plan still has momentum. Whether or not it can get done before the August recess looks like that's under threat now because you're not moving forward maybe fast enough. Uh, but certainly if a package can get done, there's still a chance that gets done before the senators go on holiday. I think the next plan probably still drifts to the autumn um, uh, before it gets real serious consideration. All right, great. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate the views on several different topics there. And that's it for this week. Look forward to talking to everybody next week. Thank you.